The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. What's up, everybody? This is your boy Dex with the I Am Pits podcast. I know it's been a little rough and rocky with the show here the last two weeks, but as I told you on the last one, on the last episode, which was really brief because I was in Bowling Green with my buddies going to assist with the tornadoes that happened here in Kentucky and across six states. And, you know, the last thing I wanted to do is hijack an incident that needed to be talked about while people were suffering, entire families and generations were lost. I mean, people that had worked their entire lives to buy homes and everything in their homes was gone. The last thing I wanted to do was get on this episode, that show, and talk about me and all the things going on with the rest of the country because in light of that tragedy, you know, it just kind of made me reevaluate what was important in my life. And looking at all the devastation and the destruction and the death that happened due to these tornadoes that had struck in the Midwest, it just really made me reevaluate my life. And, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was get on the show and talk about things in my life, all the things I have now, and talk about the things going on in America with people like Jesse Smollett and all these trivial things that really don't matter at the end of the day. I just feel like it would have been absolutely disrespectful for me to have put out a show about all these things when people are having the worst moment of their lives. You know, it's so weird that when the storms happen, I was in my bed sleep, you know. I was in my new home, chilling with my family, just not even thinking twice about anything. And I just decided, you know what, I'm going to go upstairs and go to my room and go to sleep. And it did not occur to me that when I woke up that morning, that while I was sleeping, there were people that were sleeping along this 227-mile trek that this these tornadoes hit that were sleeping, and they did not wake up. And if they did wake up, you know, they were in the middle of a tornado being tossed and thrown around and having their entire lives changed in an instant. You know, so it just it just didn't feel right for me to come on there and talk about all these things going on in the country and with me at that time. That's why I wanted to take a brief moment and update you all with that last episode on why I have not done an episode in a little too long. And, you know, just with everything going on, it just it wasn't right. And the one thing I want to be is I want to be accountable. I want to be respectable. You know, and I want to be a man of character. And I want to be the man that God... You know, Jesus Christ has designed me to be. And the last thing I wanted to do was just hijack these people's tragedy and turn it into the all about me show. And this is what I think show. And that's that's not what I want. You know, I really want this podcast to help people. I really want this podcast to encourage people. And I want this podcast to shed light on what people are going through. You know, I am only one man. You know, I I only have an experience from my point of view, and I'm not the only person on this earth. There are so many people on this earth. There are many people in this country. 
there are many people in the state of Kentucky and a lot of different people throughout these counties and these cities here in which we live. And for me, you know, I just have to shed light on what they were going through. And I'm not going to lie, man, I'm still kind of in my feelings about the whole thing. I've cried a couple of times. I've done a lot in my life. I've been to war. I've seen devastation of war. I've been a police officer for nearly 12 years. And I'll be honest, all the things I've done in my three years in the Army and my 12 years in police work never could have prepared me for what I saw when we pulled up in the, when we pulled into Bowling Green. And the sad part was it was not just Bowling Green. Like I said, there was a the tornado track was the longest in history. 227 miles of death and destruction. And it, when when we drove in, it was still dark and I was like, you know, it's not too bad. It was, looks okay. Looks like Bowling Green still. Until the sun came up and then me and my buddy Rudy were riding around and I just said to myself, oh my God. You know, it, the destruction was just... It, it was just so heavy on my heart and it still weighs heavy on my heart. You know, the news has now started releasing the names of the lives that have been lost. And it's not that just that lives were lost. We had two families in Bowling Green where we were at it, two families, three generations completely wiped off the face of the earth, gone forever in the snap of a finger. When we got there, they told us that this entire family has been ki- had been killed. I believe there's like seven of them, five kids, mom and dad, and I believe a grandma, you know, and just hearing the stories from the people that lived in the area and the officers that were working there right after the tornado hit, just what the things they told me, I will never forget. They said that the five-year-old kid in the family – he had been sucked out of the house and thrown up into the storm. And they found him across the neighborhood sitting on the counter in somebody else's house because the storm dumped his body there. And then they had the 16-year-old, I believe. They found her across the neighborhood in somebody else's room because the storm picked her body up and dumped her through the roof of somebody else's house and she landed there. They found the mother apparently in pieces. And they finally found the grandmother, I believe. And just hearing these stories was just heartbreaking, man. Just thinking about these kids that had their entire lives ahead of them. This family that was just living their life, making all these plans for the future. And then all of a sudden, none of it's going to happen and they're all gone. You know, there was a checkpoint we were working. And, man, working the checkpoint for us was probably the hardest part for me because just like with all things, scumbags come out and looters and people trying to steal from these people that are already experiencing the worst moment in their lives. And because of that, and the the structures of the homes were still so unstable, we had to tell people they couldn't return to their homes, you know? And how do you tell somebody you can't go to your house? Because, you know, the police chief and the fire chief of the town said it was unsafe. And we were trying to cut down on looting. 
you know, you know, we were we were the bad guys because we wouldn't let people go back to their homes. You know, those were just our orders and I hated it. But like I told my buddy, if they need somebody to yell at and be mad at in this moment after they have lost everything, I will more be more than glad to play that part and be their punching bag. You know, because if they just need somebody to beat up on and curse at because they're mad and they've lost everything, you could beat up and curse me out until you feel better. You know, and it was just so hard. And one guy ran up to us and he told us you know, he was trying to get back to his house and we couldn't let him. You know, And he said, man, do you know what I've been through today? And then he told us how when he woke up after, the, or, well, he told us how when he went outside after the storm that there was a decapitated body just laying in his backyard. You know, I couldn't imagine waking up to seeing that in my neighborhood or what used to be in my neighborhood. You know, then we had another guy, an officer down there that was telling us that somebody came over to him and asked him to help me turn over this lawnmower. Well, at this time, the officer was standing in front of a body that was ripped into pieces. And people were just still trying to process, I guess, and get back to their lives and straightening things out. And he was like, do you not see what I'm doing right now? There's a body here in front of me. Like, have some decency. And, man, and... I had another incident when I was down there. I was at the traffic point, and this lady runs up to me. She's like, oh, my God, officer, officer, please help, help. We hear somebody. There's somebody down in the brush. We hear them. We heard some sounded like somebody crying, maybe a kid. And so, you know, I've been a cop a long time, and my first thought is, well, this is one person. Maybe she's not hearing what she thinks she's hearing, but what really solidified it for me was the fact that when I went over, she was with a part of a group and all of them in the group were like, yeah, we all heard the same thing. So we, I go jump into the brush where all this down by the Creek over there in this neighborhood. And, and I'm just going through the brush looking for whatever I can to see if I can hear anything. And I'm calling out and I don't see anything. And we get other officers over there and we search along this Creek and we don't find anything. I'm looking for any sort of sign of life. And the, the creek, you know, the river, fl- the, the the water's flowing in the creek. <clears throat> and we're like, well, maybe the person was in here and the water took them under this bridge to the other side of the creek. So we go strutting down there. And what gets me is <clears throat> we didn't find anything. You know, but there's just one thing I found that I will never forget. It was this brand new pure white Nike Air Force shoe just one single shoe and I just looked at that shoe was like whoever had this shoe maybe who whose foot it was on they're gone I don't know maybe it just got sucked up in a storm I don't know yeah but it was just so out of place around this death and destruction and this all this chaos and there's just this one pure white Nike Air Force shoe and just just I don't know it just struck a chord in me man so, you know, we get through searching and then we pull back. And as we're pulling back, you know, they bring out the cadaver dogs and the fire department comes there and everybody's asking me what happened. How did it know? Did you hear anything? I now I have to tell them I didn't hear anything. This group of people over here told me what they heard. And we just reacted without thinking. We just got to work because the one thing I wanted to do if I was down there was if I could help save a life, I would have been more than glad to. That would have made my trip. Instead of just hearing and seeing the destruction, but knowing that we helped make a difference and possibly save a life would have been awesome.
you know, the one thing I've always wanted to do, which people might think it's weird, but for me, I've always wanted to respond to a natural disaster and go and help. It's help people in their worst moments. And I finally got the chance to do it. And, and I'm like, God, please don't ever let nothing like this happen again. Because yeah, I don't ever want to go through that again. Just the emotional weight of it. It's a lot, man. It's a whole lot. And you see it on the TV like, oh, my goodness. But once you get into the midst of it and you see people walking around the rubble of what used to be their homes and their entire lives. We just I remember this lady walking around holding some stuff in her hands and she's just crying. And there was this young girl that was going around. Has anybody seen my mom? Please help me find my mom. And she's asking officers us and we're not from there to help her find her mom and it's like we don't I don't know your mother I don't like how do we help what do you do in that moment it's it was heartbreaking man absolutely heartbreaking you know and here we are living our lives in America just going about our days not realizing that on our best day or even the days we consider our worst days that there are people absolutely suffering somewhere around the world or somewhere in our own towns and our cities, man. And we take our lives for granted. We take our homes for granted. We take our jobs for granted. We take everything for granted because we always expect it to be here. We always expect life to be good. We always expect everything to just go smooth. But that is just, that's not how life works. You know, and me being a man of faith and a believer, there's just some times where I just have to ask God why. I know they say we're not supposed to ask, ask God why, but I cannot but help but ask God why. Why two families, multiple generations were killed and wiped off the face of the earth. Like, why? What is the purpose? And everybody always says God has a purpose behind everything. And this morning I'm struggling with trying to understand the purpose of doing such a thing. The only thing I can say that I'm, I know this sounds a little sick and twisted, is so don't take me wrong when I say this, because I think it's sad and it's a tragedy. But I'm almost happy for the families that died together. It, I couldn't imagine waking up, being the sole survivor of one of those families, looking around like, where's my mom, where's my dad, or where's my wife? And somebody telling you your entire family's dead. I could not imagine I don't think I would want to live with that type of pain. That is so hard to even fathom in my mind, trying to live with that. That's so I almost feel like it's more humane that they at least all die together. Tragic and, un and unfortunate. And I, it sounds horrible to say, but I feel like that's a bit more humane than having to live the rest of your life, knowing that you survived and your whole family perished. So that be that would be real hard for me. And I couldn't imagine them any of them having to go through that. I mean the people and it was just so weird how, you know, the tornado touched down in one part of the neighborhood and there's still houses that are still standing and still have power. You know, these people slept through the night and probably didn't wake up and realize and hey, you know, there's a bad storm outside and everybody a lot of people in my neighborhood had their homes destroyed and their families are dead, and these people don't even know it. You know, they just woke up like it was another day and step outside and like, oh, a couple houses down from me, 
the entire house is gone and the entire family's dead and, and people nobody they they probably wouldn't know the difference and then I don't I hope that they are taking time this morning to thank God and realize how blessed and lucky they are and that their homes are still standing and that they still have power I mean it's absolutely crazy how one section was destroyed one house was destroyed but the house next to it would be okay you know and one of the guys was telling us how there was his neighbors he said he remember going inside at night and his neighbors were outside having a good time he said they were sitting in their lawn chairs and that they were drinking these drinks and that they sat their drinks down and went inside so his house got destroyed and when he returned to his home the next day he said those lawn chairs were still outside and his neighbor's drinks were still sitting on the ground where they had put them so the storm came through and hit his house but did nothing to the house next door and the chairs and the cups were still there like how does that happen how does that work you know and everybody was talking about the christmas tree at this one house people were driving by and there's this christmas tree still standing inside of this one house that had been destroyed and it was just like man you know, just couldn't imagine you're getting ready for christmas season and buying gifts and presents and all of a sudden the month of december will never be the same to you again so you know that's what that's what i've been dealing with the last few days is trying to trying to come come to god and looking for answers and searching for you know clarity in this moment and you know sometimes we in the christian church we just say things like god has a plan and you know sometimes christians just say things to say things because that's what they've always said and that's what they've always heard uh, and i don't feel like those answers are sometimes appropriate I mean, I wouldn't say that to somebody that had just experienced a tragedy. Don't worry, God's got a plan. Sometimes it's okay to say, you know what, I don't know. I don't know why God let this happen. I don't know why God decided to let this family, you know, just be completely wiped off the face of the earth. I don't know why God let a storm travel 227 miles and has killed over 100 people so far. And apparently there's a lot more people that are still missing. You know, and, you know, and the lack of humanity. But I do have to say this, though, man. I, as horrible as this situation was, man, the community of Bowling Green and all these communities that were impacted, when I was down there, the staff at the school we were at, I've never felt so much love and appreciation, man. These people constantly thanked us for being there. And let me tell you, when I said they fed us, my God, my Lord, they fed us. I mean, there was so much food and resources and supplies flowing in to the school to help the first responders coming and to help the community and all those affected. I mean, there was a bus that had pulled up, I mean, an old school bus. I mean, it was loaded to the brim from front to back with food and supplies. And I remember us going to help unload the stuff. You know, it was just amazing. I mean, there was just food constantly tossed at us. Like, I stayed full the entire time. I was literally disgusted with myself at how much food I had ate because everybody, everywhere we turned, there was just food being offered to us. No matter where we went. I mean, I remember the last day, me and my buddy Rudy, we were sitting at this check traffic checkpoint 
And this guy in a white truck with his family, Hispanic guy, I guess he owns a taco place or a Mexican restaurant. He just comes over, hops off the back of the truck, digs into his cooler, and just gave me and my buddy Rudy these tacos, man. Oh, these were delicious. Some smoked brisket tacos. It was so good. And I was just like, oh, my Lord. And I mean, somebody would drive by on a bus. Hey, you officers, y'all hungry? You know, and it's just like, no, we can't eat anymore. We'll take this food anyway. Give it to somebody. You know, just everywhere we turned, there was just somebody giving us food, somebody giving us water. Like, there was no need. There's nobody in Bowling Green that was impacted by this that is going to suffer miss a meal. I can promise you that. I mean, just the way these people came together in this community and the way everybody pulled together to love on each other and support one another was absolutely phenomenal, man. I mean, it just made my heart cry out of joy and happiness seeing people in this day and age. And the one thing was the community in Bowling Green is so diverse. There was not anything about Black Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, Democrats, Republicans, there was none of that. This was just people loving and caring for other people. This was just people being decent human beings and doing the right thing. There was no political agenda to be had. It was only, hey, I see you're hurting. How can I help you? And I feel like we have gotten so far away from that in this country. But you, as we know, it takes tragedy for us to see things the way we should see things. It takes tragedy for us to put aside our differences to just see each other as humans. And as much as I hate when tragedy happens, the beauty of the human spirit always shines the brightest in light of tragedy. And yeah, like I said, there were scumbags out there going to loot and take advantage of these people and trying to make money. But the amount of scumbags that were there versus the amount of people that were there to really help it doesn't even compare. Not even close. I mean, it was just awesome to have been a part of this thing and to have helped. I said, I wish it would have never happened, but I thank God that I was able to go down and do something. You know, I remember one of the ladies at the checkpoints was like, thank you all for being here so much. I know some people are mad at y'all and being mean to y'all because you can't let everybody in and it's an inconvenience, but I'm going to sleep better tonight knowing that you all are out here because there's people out here trying to take our stuff. And so, you know, I felt real good about that. We were kind of, some of us were kind of questioned, what did we really do? You know, what we did, we might not think it's a lot, but to those that live in that community that were worried about their stuff getting stolen, like some guy was there picking up refrigerators. And this is what I got from some of our officers. Apparently the guy was at somebody's house that was destroyed, putting up, loading up a refrigerator and told the guy, Hey, this is my uncle's house. And apparently the guy whose house it really was, was like, no, this is my house. And that's my refrigerator. And I don't know you. And then the guy gets in his truck and just drives off. Just craziness, man. Craziness all around. And so, you know, it's uh, as I'm sitting here in my new studio, I'm a little, I'm more, way more thankful today. You know, and this is my dream. This has been my dream for the longest. When I started the podcast, you know, I was in a tiny apartment and I was doing my podcast from my closet on a dinner tray. And now I've I've got an entire room that I've turned converted into a studio in my new home. And as much as I love it, 
man, let me tell you, I, I am just beyond thankful to have what I have right now. I've always tried my best to be thankful, but today I'm just extra thankful for my new home. And I'm extra thankful for my new studio setup. And, you know, I've upgraded my microphones and, you know, got some new gear and stuff. So life is going good for me. It's I can't I really can't complain. I am beyond thankful and I want to make sure that I continue to stay thankful. And I don't want to lose sight of the blessings that God has given me in a time where, you know, the economy is just horrible and inflation's up, you know, and I'm just. I'm just living my life, man. It's almost like it's not affecting me. You know, it does, it has in some way, but I just don't, I don't let it get to me. You know, I don't let the decisions that President Joe Biden is making impact me on my daily life. And I don't let that control my emotions because even though he's doing a horrible job as president, I know who is in control of my life and I know who is at the will. And that is my Lord and Savior, Jesus, Jesus Christ. You know, so I don't, Regardless of what goes on around me, no matter what the chaos is, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. My family's going to be okay. Your families are going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. You know, it's, it's pretty dark right now in the country and just with everything. But, you know, there's still hope at the end of, you know, there's still light at the end of the tunnel. So don't lose sight of everything yet. It's not time to give up. But, you know, we got to continue on the fight. And me, how I'm fighting is with this podcast. And, man, let me tell y'all. The one thing I've always said I would never do was leave Kentucky. And I had all, you know, this is my home. Kentucky's where I was born. And Kentucky is where I'm going to be buried. You know, I'm a bluegrass boy with roots from Mississippi. But for me... I never seen myself leaving Kentucky again, especially after I came back from Arizona and working with the PD here. You know, I just I have a pride of being from Kentucky, you know, but with everything going on in Jefferson County with the, the spike in crime, the carjackings and just the school system, the one the, the number one reason I decided to leave Jefferson County and move out of the state of Kentucky was because of the school system. Man, Jefferson County Public Schools are an absolute jungle. I have seen videos since the school year started of kids getting in fights, brandishing firearms. I mean, I have seen kids fighting like animals in a jungle, just going at each other. I mean, just everybody standing around cheering it on. Teachers trying to get involved and teachers being assaulted. The new JCPS security guards that are getting their asses kicked as well, trying to break up these fights. You know, it's, it is embarrassing. And it breaks my heart, man. And I remember when they had the teacher and the kid that got into it a couple months ago. I believe it was at more traditional school here in Louisville. And after that, you know, the kids staged a walkout and Black Lives Matter and came and you know, they walked with the kids and I saw the kids throwing up the, the, the black power fist and the communist fist and doing all the chants. And I was like, oh, there is no way I am going to co-sign on my children going to these far left communist indoctrination factories known as Jefferson County Public Schools. You know, we were going to put our kids in a public school because our kids have been in 
private school since they've been born. You know, trying to save some money so we can move. And I was like, yo, just with good conscience, I, I could not do that to my babies. My babies deserve better. And I will not be allowing my kids to be raised and taught in such an environment. You know, this is the same school system that says that police are evil and that police aren't needed. And it kicked all of our school resources officers out of their schools. And the moment they've done that, these schools have just been out of sorts. The violence is off the charts. There's more kids being shot and killed that attend these schools than any other time in the history of JCPS. That is unacceptable. And that is not the type of life or environment I want my kids to be around. And I believe that no matter what I am teaching my children, no matter what kind of foundation I plan it for, if I send them away to these schools for eight hours a day, yeah, I might be an influence, but their peers are going to influence them just as much. And, and that's just not something I'm willing to do as a parent. Just turn over complete and total control to a school system like JCPS. So we've since moved out of county into a different state, but I'm still able to work with the police department, thank God. And I, my kids will be starting school where we are at now at the uh, once at the Christmas break. And I can tell you, I feel a lot better about the schools my kids are going to be attending, these public schools. You know, and but the one thing I told my wife when we discussed it is, you know what? Just because the school system here is definitely better does not mean that we get to, you know, take our foot off the gas and just relax and not pay attention to what our kids are being taught in school. And see, for me, it's not enough to just, hey, this is a good school system. Everybody around here says it. Yo, but I'm just not going to sit back and just be careless. I will be attending teacher-parent conferences. I will be attending events at, that my kids are going to at their schools. I will be asking and questioning my kids what they learned today. I will be in contact with their teachers, asking them what they're teaching my children. So just because we live in a better school district does not mean that you drop, let your guard down. Because like I said, we are living in a different time in America. And I will be damned if anybody's going to teach my kids critical race theory junk or teach my kids that America's evil and horrible. That's not going to happen under my watch. And so if that does happen, best believe I will be pulling my kids out of that school system, too. And we will just find a different way. You know, just, I'm just not doing it. I'm not letting it happen. Like I said, not on my watch, not ever. You know, we really have to pay attention as parents to what our children are really learning. We really have to. Because if you don't, your children will end up like Jesse, Jesse Smollett. Like I said, you know, that whole incident with him and this whole thing that's happened, transpired, this fake 911 call he staged in this fake attack uh, it just makes me sick to my stomach you know just the funny part about all of it is I remember when it happened and I thought to myself none of this sounds logical or right there's just two white Trump supporters walking around Chicago at like two in the morning with bleach and a noose looking for a negro to string up yeah like that's no not believing that for one second like I said, I've been doing I've been a law enforcement officer for 12 years. You just know when you hear something like 
that ain't it. That ain't right. And I knew from the get-go, when I heard it, I was like, yeah, he's full of it. <laughs> and he was absolutely full of it. So, you know, the whole thing, the thing for me is listening to all of it is that he is doubling down on his lies and his stupidity. And I mean, when the evidence is over, was overwhelming that this was false, like how do you continue to go forward with the lie? I mean, I don't understand. Like, dude, you've been caught. It's over. And I will say the justice system wins again. Another big win for the justice system. The fact that they found this man guilty, I think of uh, five out of the six charges, it's just refreshing. Absolutely refreshing. But all, what also makes me sick is the fact that there are people still supporting this man, saying that he's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. Of course, Black Lives Matter is still standing behind this guy. And for some odd reason, there's people saying, well, but uh, Kyle Rittenhouse got away with murdering two people. It's like, no, it's not the same thing. <laughs> he didn't murder two people. He defended himself when he was being attacked. And his and Kyle Rittenhouse's story was absolutely legit. And we all saw the video. Jesse Smollett. There's apparently there's video evidence of them planning and staging the entire thing. You know, so it's <laughs> oh man. The fact that people are doubling down on the stupidity. That like how much pride and how much ego do you have to have? To be able to continue through with such a lie, knowing that you've been caught, man. You know, I mean, that is some serious, serious stubbornness. And I'm stubborn, but my God, I don't ever let I don't ever want to let my pride and ego force me to a point to where I'm watching a video of me doing something stupid. And I still have enough ego to say that ain't me. Nope. You know, and I've seen this for years in police work. You know, we'll catch some kid doing something, shooting at somebody or stabbing somebody. The parent will come, the parent will watch the video, be like, that ain't my baby. Like, man, man that's, that's your son. That ain't my baby. Y'all made that video up. Y'all put him in that video. <laughs> and I say that because that is literally some of the things I have heard, man. You know, it's just, uh, God. But God bless America, man. God bless our justice system. Like I say, the system works. Even with all the political BS that gets thrown into the system, man, the system still works. It's not a perfect system. Don't get me wrong. But this year, I've seen the justice system work as it, as it was intended. And that makes me happy. That gives me hope. It gives me hope that the jurors are still, you know, have common sense as they're going forward and dealing with these type of things. But regardless of how I feel, I hope and pray to God that I'm never sitting on the opposite end of a jury with my life and my future in their hands. You know, I pray that God continues to bless me in this career and that I don't ever have to find myself at the headline of a news story for shooting somebody. You know, I just don't want that type of stress and negativity in my life, man. But I understand that in this profession, that is the chance you run. I might, you know, I go to work tonight. I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. All you can do is put your best foot forward and try to make the best decision you can. And do the right thing at the end of the day. And I want to believe that if I do the right thing, that I will be okay. But I know that we are living in strange times right now. And doing the right thing and protecting yourself and protecting others 
There's going to be people out there in the media that try to twist it up and turn you into a monster. But that is why I do my best to live a life of character and do the right thing regardless. Like I say, if you're going to if you're going to demonize me and turn me into this monster, you're going to have to work overtime to do it because I'm not going to give you any of the ammo to just destroy my life by how I act or interact with people. And, you know, case in point. I remember um, two episodes ago, the uh, a crappy Thanksgiving, I was talking about the incident I had at the bus station. Well, lo and behold, I have another incident there about a week and a half ago. There's a young lady, young black lady from another city. Her and apparently the bus driver get into it. The bus driver wants the young lady off the bus. So I get called. So I step up onto the bus. The bus is full of black people. Even the bus driver's black. I'm black. This young lady, she's probably in her early 20s. She's got two kids, probably about, I think, three and maybe one years old. And the young lady, she's irate. And she's irate while she's breastfeeding her child. And I'm like, hey, ma'am, you're going to have to leave the bus. You know, we don't, I hate to have to kick you off, but the bus driver wants you gone. And the next thing you know, all the black people on the bus turn on me. And then all of a sudden, I'm the bad guy. But the one thing I remember about this is when I started talking to the lady, I heard a little voice from behind the seat where she was sitting. No, no, no. You're not taking my mama anywhere. Her three-year-old daughter came from behind that seat and squared up on me and was ready to fight me. And the fact that her daughter saw the police and instantly believed that her mother was getting ready to be taken from her kind of gives me a little insight into their lives and leads me to believe that mommy has been locked up by the police in front of her kids before. You know, and that's absolutely sad and tragic. You know, and I get down on one knee and I'm just talking to the little girl. Baby, I'm not trying to take your mommy to jail. No, your mommy's not going to jail, okay? And while I'm saying this, mom is just irate, yelling, and cursing while she's got her nipple in her one-year-old's mouth and just cursing up a storm. And everybody on the bus is looking at me like, don't kick this girl off this bus, officer. That's messed up if you do. And then for some odd reason, I don't know what race had to do with anything considering that all of us on the bus were black, even the black bus driver that kicked this young girl off the bus. One black dude looks up at me and says, yeah, you know what? She, that bus driver wouldn't have talked to her like that if she was white. And I'm looking around like, what the hell does white black have to do with any of this right now? There's not a white person in sight. Why would you even bring that up? And that's when I thought like, man, that automatic default racism that people just love. It's like there, there's no logical reason to bring up color when everybody on this bus is black. The woman that kicked her off was black. So why are you saying if she, if the young lady would have been a white, she wouldn't have talked to her like that? You know, that's just the ignorance, the stupidity, and that default racism switch that people have that they just automatically go to. You know, it just left me boggled. Like, I couldn't understand. I was like, dude, he was like, well, I'm from Alabama. Like, bro, my family from Mississippi. But what does that have to do with the current present moment and what we're going through with this young girl's going through? So, man, I'm just trying to sweet talk this lady, this young girl and her kids. I'm like, hey, 
we got to go. And everybody on the bus is mad. Man, that bus driver was wrong for what she said to that lady. And, you know, and I, it, the bus driver might have been wrong, but I wasn't there for that. All I know is the bus driver was nice to me. And this young lady was yelling and cursing at me. And I'm offering to buy this lady food, buy her kids food, doing whatever I could to help make their trip possible. And as they're stepping off the bus, mama says, I don't need a fucking thing from you. And then I hear the three-year-old repeat like a little parrot. Yeah, we don't need a fucking thing from you. And I'm just like, whoa, what? Is this really happening right now? It's just absolutely bizarre, man. So I get them off the bus. And mommy's like, mom says to me, well, just so you know, officer, I'm about to run over here and hit this bitch in the face. She's talking about the bus driver. I'm like, yo, you have your two kids with you. It's like, stop. Let's be logical for a second. And, and that one thing I've known in law enforcement is you cannot reason with a crazy person. And this lady was absolutely out of her mind. She was just continued yelling and cursing, making threats. And I'm like, yo, look, you got to stop. You're going to get yourself locked up. And the last thing I want to do is lock up this young lady that's not from here, that has two kids. That's not what we want to do. But she's not making the job any easier. So thank God we get her stuff off the bus. And we walk past the bus driver lady. And I put myself in between her and the bus driver lady to make sure that there was not any violence but man, you know, we sit their stuff down and when the uh, in the bus terminal and I just reiterate again, like, ma'am, is there anything I can do for you? Can we buy you something to eat, something for you and your kids? No, stop fucking talking to me. And I'm just trying to help any way I can. But it's clear this woman does not want my help at this point in time. You know, and so we just leave the bus station, you know, and I was looking at my partner like, yo, what the hell just happened, man? Yeah, man, it just, and I just, those poor little girls, man, just, this is the example that's being set before them. And that's, this is going to be their life. But I pray to God that somehow, some way, mom maybe turns it around. I want to believe that, but, you know, I've been doing this job a long time and I'm a little cynical, you know, and I just hate to see that beautiful little black girl grow up to be just like her mother. You know, I want my kids to grow up and be better than me. You know, I have some good qualities, but I also got a lot of bad qualities. And I, and I want the next generation of the Pitts family to be better. But it's evident that the way this generation is going with this young lady and her kids, that it's going to be more the same. And But maybe somebody will step in and intercede and help save that little girl. Both of those little girls, man. It just crushed my soul. And, you know, there's always places when you're an officer where, there's just certain places on your beat where you just, when you get a call, you're just like, oh my God, not again. And that bus station is one of those places for me. Hopefully in the near future, they're supposed to be moving. And man, if that is the case, I will come and I will help them move for the love of God. Help me help you. <laughs> man, so it's been a good show. Like I said, it's a, if it's a little scatterbrain, that's my apologies. You know, I've just, man, I've just been so busy. My mind has been all over the place. And I've been in my new house now for like, I think, three weeks. And I've literally not had one day since I've been here to where I've just been able to kind of just sit, chill, and not do anything. I mean, it's been go, 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 go since the moment we started moving. Man, the day after we moved, I moved myself. You know, I'm not the type, I don't like to burden people with what I got going on. And, you know, so I moved myself. 
And man, when I woke up the next day, I realized that I was not a 25 year old guy anymore. Man, I felt like I had got hit by another IED the next morning. I was so sore for like the next two, three days. So I really got I really got to pick up the physical activity and get back into the gym. I'm trying, man, but I've just, I've been so exhausted with life recently. So just so much going on. And it's like I said, it's a lot of positive things going on. Like I said, I'm not going to sit here and complain about what I got going on in my life in light of what I just experienced with down in Bowling Green. So I have no room to complain about anything. No, I'm just tired. But I see the fact that I'm tired. I at least have a nice home to go to where I can lay down and lay my head in peace. And that is something I don't want to lose sight of. And regardless of me being tired, you know, I still have obligations. I still have to you know, go to work and serve the community. I have my show to work on. And now I'm officially a published author. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Dexter M. Pitts is officially a published author. So I finished off the final edits on the book about a week ago. We sent them off. And now my book, we were initially going to release my book on it was going to be before Christmas. It was going to be on like December 21st, but I decided against December 21st. I wanted to do my release on a special day, my alive day. And if you don't know what the alive day is, anytime military service members have been hurt in the line of duty or wounded, that's your alive day. January 2nd of 2005 is my alive day. That was the day we parked on top of an IED consisted of two 155 millimeter artillery shells. And I walked away with, well, I ain't gonna say I walked away. <laughs> I was more like carried away, but you know, I survived, thank God. And I had a long road to recovery after that. And yeah, January 2nd is my live day. And I decided to push my book release from December to January 2nd because January 2nd is literally a transition point in my life that a day that changed my life forever. January 2nd is the day the old me died and the new me was born. January 2nd is the day a broken Dexter, you know, was born. And so January 2nd is just, it's, it's a special day to me. I try to take off for January 2nd every year you know, just so I can kind of focus and Thank God for the gift of life that he gave me when so many service members that have fought in the war over the last 20 years, you know, that have, you know, lost limbs, lost their lives. And yet I'm still here full, fully able to have all my limbs. Yes, my left arm is messed up. I don't you know. My left arm has a lot of issues, but I still have it. And so January 2nd to me is that special of a day. And I felt that what better day to release my book on than my alive day. You know, so I've worked on that, got that going. So just be, be on the lookout for the book. If you would like to, you can pre-order on Amazon. Just go to Amazon and type in I am Pitts and it will pull it up and you can put in your pre-order for there. You can also go to Barnes and Nobles and type in I am Pitts and you can also pre-order there. Or if you would like to, you can go to my website, IamPitts.com. Once you go to IamPitts.com, you can scroll down to the bottom of the page and you will see 
links to be able to uh, pre-order the book there. And that also that, I also have a commercial, a little advertisement I shot. So if you want to go to the webpage, IamPits.com, scroll down and you can see the video that I shot for the book. And I mean, let me tell y'all something, man. I'm not the one to brag on myself or say anything like, oh, boastful, but man, that commercial is absolutely fire. It's hot. Man, it's dope, man. So, yeah, I, I've had a lot of people that have come around me to help me along with this stuff. Man, and to all those people, thank y'all so much for the support as, you know, as I get ready to launch this book. And I'm working on planning on having a book release party sometime in January. I say January is going to be a little crazy for me, but I'm hoping to have a book release sometime in January here in Louisville. Still working out the details of that, so don't know when yet or where but stay tuned for more details on that and also starting to do some more advertisements for my book and i'm starting to get on some more shows to talk about my podcast and my book and just my experience so i will be on the law enforcement today radio show uh sometime in january so i'm doing the interview on january 4th i believe and it'll, it'll air probably a week or two after that and also the one reason that I became a podcaster is because of my favorite, favorite podcast, The Drinking Bros with Ross Patterson and Dan Howell and all those guys. So I reached out to them and it looks like I'm going to be on the show, Drinking Bros podcast on January 7th. So I will be flying down to Austin, Texas to go and be on the show and talk about my book and my experiences. Man, let me tell y'all something. Right, you have no clue how excited I am about that. Like, that has been my driving force the entire time. I was like, man, I got to finish this book and I got to get on Drinking Bros, man. And so it's even better for me because I met Ross and Dan at the Derby last year when they were here for their show. And I met them at the party and they invited me over to their box when I was working. I walked over there with a couple of my police buddies, man, and Got to chat them up a little bit and just chill with them for a minute, man. It was phenomenal. Dream come true, man. And so the fact that I get to go on the show, man, that's an absolute honor. Still doesn't feel real, man. Still doesn't feel real. Like when like my wife looks at me, she's like, you're an author. You're a published author. Like, I am, ain't I? It's, it's so bizarre. You know, just working on this book for, God, man, like since 2014. And just the editing, the revisions that have gone through with this thing and just how the book has changed over time. And I'm just so happy that it's done, honest to God. Like, I've been over this book and read through this book so many times. But regardless of how many times I've read it, it just it doesn't even feel like I'm reading my own story. It feels like I'm reading somebody else's story because I've done it so much. And I'm just I'm beyond proud that I was able to do something like this. And, you know, I told my wife at this point, I really don't care if I don't even sell one book because I never wrote this book with the intention of becoming rich, becoming famous. This was just something that was always on my heart, something I felt I needed to do. And for a young guy from Hardin County, Kentucky, you know, just that was always the underdog, always counted out, always made to feel stupid, always made to feel less than. For me to accomplish something this monumental when I never thought I could accomplish something like this in my life, it just shows the power and the grace of God 
and where he has taken me in my life and what he has done for me. You know, it still does not feel real because you know, I, I, growing up, I had a hard time learning to read and I've always struggled with my education and being able to focus, man. I've, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not, when it comes to grammar and grammatical stuff, I'm not the best writer. I'm really not. But I know how to take my thoughts from my mind and put them on paper. You know, and every comma and semicolon might not be in the right spot. There's going to be some errors in the book. But my biggest thing is don't focus on my errors. Get the stories and get the lessons. And I hope that you're entertained as you're reading it. And I hate to brag on myself. I really do. But this is going to be a phenomenal book. I really believe that. And I know that. I mean, I wrote this book from my heart. I mean, I poured my soul into these pages. I've poured hours, days, weeks, and months into this project. And to see it come to fruition and be something tangible that I hold in my hands, it just feels unreal. And for me, my kids are able to see that, hey, look what daddy did. Daddy wrote a book. And so one day, my kids are not going to be old enough to read this book now and understand it. Yeah, but one day, I'm going to take my last breath on this earth. And when I die, if I die young, if I die tonight or tomorrow, who knows? But my kids will be able to pick up this book, flip through these pages, and they will not have to ask who my father is or who was daddy. My kids will know who I am what I stood for and what I believed in the pages of this book. There will be no question what daddy expects and what daddy believed and what daddy thought. They will know the legacy that I want to leave them and they will know everything about me, the good, the bad, the really ugly, but they will also know the best parts of me as well. You know, the, for me, last year during the riots, that was when I realized I had to finish this book, especially after the night of September 26th, I believe, when uh, they started shooting at us on Broadway. And, and I just remember that night getting home, and I was like, yo, I got, I got to finish this book. And that's when I just sat down, and I just got, I got focused because I realized if I die now, my story dies with me. And that's not what I wanted. So no matter how long after I'm gone, my legacy and what I believe will always live on. So I'm like, I'm really, really excited about the book, man. I'm like, say, I'm, I'm, it's not too often where I say I'm proud of myself, but I'm absolutely proud of myself that I was able to do something as this. You know, I look at this 300 and like, I think it's 320 something page book. And I'm just like, oh my God. I did this, man. But it was not done without the help and support of my wife, my friends. Man, so many people have encouraged me, you know. And there's going to be people that are going to be like, oh, this is stupid. Oh, this book's full of crap. You know, I don't care. Really don't care. Because I didn't do this for you. I did this for my kids. And I did this for people that would that are looking for who they are trying to find their own identity I did this for the people that were lost I did this for my fallen brothers I did this to honor those I served with I did this to honor the profession of policing and in no way in this book am I 
crapping on my profession or my police department. That is the last thing I wanted to do. You know, the Louisville Metro Police Department is my home. The Louisville Metro Police Department has helped to make me into the man I am today. And so the last thing I ever want to do is crap on my department. You know, we're not perfect and we're not problem free. And there's some people there that probably don't like me, don't, don't like the fact I have the show, really not going to like the fact that I got a book. But for them to not see that I'm an asset and not a liability, it's a shame. It's an absolute shame. But like I said, I don't do it for them. Regardless of what happens with me and this police department and what people think, I'm going to continue to do me and I'm going to continue to shine, not for myself, but shine for other people and shine for this department and the officers here, shine for the veterans that are struggling, shine for the victims of crime. I'm going to continue to do what I do to try to make this world a better place. And if this book can do it, my God. If that's all I can contribute, I will be happy to do so. And hopefully this podcast helps along the way. So like I said, if you could, ladies and gentlemen, please go to IamPits.com. There, once you're there, like I say, scroll down. You can watch the commercial and you can also pre-order or you can go straight to Amazon and pre-order. Let's make this thing big. Let's get this book out. Please tell your friends, your relatives, everybody. I don't care who, the strangers, tell them, hey. You need to get this guy's book. It's going to be phenomenal and entertaining. It is going to be an emotional roller coaster, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to go on the ride with me. All right. And also, I will excuse the echo. Like I said, I'm still setting up the uh, new studio here. So I'm still figuring out a way to get <laughs> get a little better sound in here. But also be looking forward to having some more guests on the show. I'm going to have people actually come to the studio and do some of my interviews. So got a lot of good things coming down the pipe, man. So y'all just stay, you know, stay ready. Stay tuned, man. And we got a lot of good things coming. And thank y'all for tuning into the show. And most of all, thank you all for the support. Like I've said it before, and I will continue to say it. Each and every download that I get, I am appreciative of. So if you could go to subscribe to the show on Apple. And if you could, please leave me a five-star rating. And also leave a comment for me on Apple. And I believe you can also do that now on Amazon and a couple of the other podcast pages. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, you all have a good one. And I will see you on the next one. (laughs) 